Mediated Conversation on SAFM. It's 26 minutes now to nine. The time, time for your Mediated Conversation this Monday morning. Do you use government services? By which I mean, does your child, do your children go to a government school? Do they go to an independent school? Do you use public transport? Transport provided by government services. So trains. Or are you using minibus taxis, which would be considered privately run transport? And what about your security? When was the last time you went to a police station? If you did go, what kind of service did you get there? Well, there's a lot of evidence now that the percentage of people in South Africa using services provided by government is declining, and declining pretty quickly. Last week, Statistics South Africa published an image from the census showing the percentage of people using public transport had dropped from 43% in 2019 to just 36% now. The percentage of people using public clinics dropping from 35% to 32%. The percentage using public hospitals, public schools, security services... All of them have dropped, and dropped significantly. This can't mean that you don't need government services. If you consider the number of people who are not employed, it's probably more likely that more people need government services, but they're not using them. And I don't know if that's because they're not properly provided anymore, like in railway services, or because they just don't trust them, which may explain, for example, how people are moving away from using government hospitals. So then, what is happening in our society, and why is this happening? First this morning, from Statistics South Africa, Solly Malai is the Chief Director for Social Statistics. Then, what does this tell us about the experience people are having at public services? Mark Haywood is the editor at Maverick Citizen. You know, of course, his long experience in social activism. And then, why has this happened, and can it be reversed? Dr. T.K. Poe is from the Witt School of Governance. We start then with Solly Malai. Solly, good morning, and thank you for your time this morning. Uh, good morning and good morning to the listeners and thanks for having us. First, what did you ask people about when and how they used government services? Okay, thank you. I think maybe just to correct uh, your so, some of the things that you mentioned in your introduction. So the survey, the information that we're going to discuss is not coming from the census, but it's coming from our annual surveys, which we call Governance Public Safety Justice. So in this survey, we ask South Africans whether they've used Services, government services. So we have 12 government services that we're asking if we have used it uh, in the past 12 months. So the 12 months period that we are referring to is from April last year and March up until uh, this year. Okay. So when we talk about government services, so railway services are run by government, the minibus taxi industry is not. So would I be right to presume then that your figures show that we should assume people have moved from railways to taxis, for example? That's why people are not using state transport anymore. Yes. So you are 100% correct. So if you look at the survey that we, the results that you released last week, so looking at uh, government um, public uh, transport, we're seeing that it's still the most used uh, service, although there's a decline, as you already mentioned. But also, if you look at some of the survey that we also released um, last year in terms of the, uh, looking at how South Africans are traveling, this is the survey that we, we, we've done with the Department of Transport, also indicating the same, that South Africans are now moving away from train. They are more now using a uh, taxi, whether you are a learner or a worker. So this is actually um, evidence that is, is coming out from our service. There's been in particular a decline in the percentage of people who use public clinics and public hospitals. Now, I understand that if you can't use a train, you will use a taxi. That makes sense to me. Um, but surely if people need health services, this doesn't mean they don't need those services. So if they're not using public clinics and public hospitals, where are they going? Yes, so when you look at the numbers, the numbers are showing us that the public clinics and public hospitals 
actually there's a decline. But I also want to point out to the, the fact that when you look at the other survey like that, that, that we have already done, which is a general household survey, we have noticed that 73% of the household members, their first consulted person is at public clinic. So public clinic is still the most uh, used service. And about 25% tend to private sector. So I think to your question, we still see South Africans are still relying on the public health Although we still seeing, although we are noticing that there's a decline when you compare to the two data points. And the other thing that I also want to mention is that the point that the data point that they were referring to is 2019, 2020, which is your pre-COVID now, uh, um, level, and the 2020, 2023. So, if you remember very well, during the COVID period, some of these services were not accessible because of the uh, restrictions. So, one will see in the next round of the survey where we'll be in terms of our levels. However, like I already said, that we are not seeing the pre-COVID uh, levels yet. Um, the percentage of people have used the SAPS, the police, and that's down from 21% to 18%. And yet, Solly, we know from all sorts of other numbers that, um, that crime is much higher now. So then are people not reporting crimes to the police? So if you take this, the, the data SAPS and looking also at the the victims of crime report that was released also. What we have noticed is that there is certain type of crimes that South Africans are not reporting to the police. We are aware that, um, like for example, hijacking. Hijacking has a high percentage of reporting because of obvious reasons uh, you want to go and also get uh, your claim in terms of your car. But when you look at other, other crime, like for example, thefts of personal properties, we've seen that only 41% of those incidents that have been reported to crime, I mean, to the, the police. So, yes, we are seeing certain uh, uh, different types of crimes that are not reported to police. But that doesn't necessarily mean that um, South Africans are not necessarily using the services. It's just depending on the type of crime that uh, you have experienced. Okay. Um, so if we look at all of these numbers as a total, so we put all of this together and there's the, 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 the graph that you published last week, are we yeah. seeing then that government is playing a smaller role in the lives of many people? In other words, people aren't using or relying on government services. I mean, is that a point we should take away from this? I think the point that we need to take away from this is that based on our data, that, that it shows that South Africans are still continually uh, depending on the government services. And when you're comparing, like I said, the two data points, although we're seeing a decline, the other thing that you're also picking up from the survey is that also the level of satisfaction. So we're also asking South Africans that since you have used the service, how satisfied are you? We are also noticing that there is a level of satisfaction that is also dropping. Over and above that, we're also noticing that there's also a level of trust that is also declining also within the population. So I think for me, what, what it means for us is that when you look at the data, we need to also put a holistic picture into it to say government should try and improve in terms of services. And also we need to look at our level of trust in terms of government performing and also delivering the services. Soli Malai, thank you very much indeed. Really appreciate the time. Chief Director for Social Statistics at Statistics South Africa. Important numbers coming through there. You with SAFM, 18 minutes to nine. Your mediated conversation continues around the evidence about what is happening with government services and whether people are no longer using them to the same extent. Mark Haywood is the editor at Maverick Citizen. Mark, good morning. Mark Haywood, are you with us? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. All right. right. So, so when we see figures showing that people are no longer using 
particularly public hospitals and public clinics. I mean, that presumably that doesn't mean people no longer need these services, but why aren't they using them? What's happened? Stephen, the first thing that I have to say is that I do think these, uh, this data needs deeper interrogation. Um, over the weekend, I've spoken to a number of hospital heads, uh, people who study and gather data on the health system, and all of them have questioned whether these statistics are accurate. And in fact, anecdotally, it would seem that both public clinics and public hospitals are under ever greater pressure. And that makes sense because, you know, we are dealing with quadruple epidemics. We have epidemics of non-communicable diseases, which are growing, cancer, mental health issues, uh, diabetes. Um, we have a growing population. So I'm actually not certain that these statistics are a correct reflection of what is going on in our hospitals. The only possible explanation that I could get from consulting with experts was that during the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, we, we had 330,000 excess deaths. And most of those deaths were uh, due to people who had comorbidities uh, and therefore higher vulnerability and people who would have been using hospital services. That's really the only plausible explanation that I have, have come up with. I'm sorry to, to question mm. what has been uh, uh, reported. Um, has there been a decline in the quality of care at the same time? I mean, have there been more problems in the public health facilities in the last few years? We've obviously been talking a lot about health b- b- during COVID. There were problems, particularly in Gauteng before, but are things worse now than they were before? Well, things are getting worse than before because health budgets are being continually cut year on year. Waiting lines are getting longer. And our human resource base, our doctors and nurses are declining. So fewer healthcare workers are having to manage larger numbers of patients. So so undoubtedly, quality of care is impacted. Um, but having said that, Stephen, I still have to say that, you know, there are areas in the public healthcare service where people get very, very high quality care if they are able to get beyond the waiting lines and see you know, the very, very professional specialists who still work, for example, in our tertiary hospitals in different parts of Gauteng and other parts of the country. I mean, all of this, so if you have problems um, in the public health, it must have, it must mean the number of people who are dying who could have been saved, if they're under too much pressure, that number will go up. The number of children have to wait for hours or days just to reset a broken arm. I mean, that goes up. If there's too much pressure, the number of people who don't get cancer treatment, all of those figures. I mean, do we know if those figures are going up as well? In other words, the uh, number of lives that could have been saved, the amount of suffering that could have been avoided? Well, those figures are going up. The only area where figures have been going down for a decade is in relation to HIV and AIDS because of the antiretroviral treatment program. But if you take cancer, for example, I mean, we have an acute crisis in cancer of providing people with treatment and getting people into access, able to access care. And the consequence is that many people are dying of cancers that are treatable and where certainly they could have their lives prolonged and in some instances be cured as well. And this is, this is the horror 
that is in our public health system at the moment, which is that there are many people dying and there are many people living with illnesses, with debilitating illnesses, who in fact could be uh, much better off and living healthily and living longer. The first point of treatment, I think, for most people is a clinic. And I keep hearing of incredibly long queues for clinics, people, you know, camping out, people going there four o'clock in the morning, maybe leaving very late in the night, things like that. Has there been any change there since the pandemic? No, I don't think so. Um, people who monitor clinics are the treatment action campaign. They have this uh, program called Richidze where they, they monitor clinics all over the country. And they continue to report exactly the same problems, shortages of staff, often shortages of medicines, uh, problems with attitudes of healthcare workers at clinics, problems of people who are undocumented for whatever reason being excluded from care. And the other problem, Stephen, is that our Office of Health Standards Compliance, which was set up with fanfare probably a decade ago, is also massively under-resourced and is therefore unable to provide us with the type of data and statistics that we need, which, by the way, would be able to either confirm or contradict the, 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 the South Africa report that we started uh, this discussion on. I mean, there's also a link between health and education. People who have to use uh, government healthcare services, by and large, would have to use government education services as yeah. well. There, might, there seems, I mean, I don't know if you've picked anything up, if things are changing in public schools. I mean, we've known for years that many public schools have problems. Many public schools do very, very well. But people can't be leaving public schools because they want to. They're leaving because there's no other choice. Exactly. I mean, people are being pushed out of, of, of the system. Our public schools are under tremendous pressure. Uh, you know, in urban areas where it's Model C schools, etc., then, then they're managing to, to manage. But if you look at schools in poorer communities, schools in rural areas, you know, they're still struggling to catch up from COVID-19. And as you've said, there's this overlap between health and education, we pay very, very little attention to child health uh, because of the fact that we have uh, epidemic malnutrition in children. 27.5% of our children uh, are stunted by the age of five. Uh, That impacts on intellectual outcomes, on school outcomes. So unfortunately, we have a, a, a perfect storm of socioeconomic factors which are holding back the development of people in this country. And when our public services fail, people try to make a plan because you can't do without health and you can't do without education. But actually, Stephen, I just don't think that we really have enough qualitative information about what is going on in people's lives. And we need to to get access to that information because otherwise we cannot measure progress in our country. Mark Haywood, thank you. Editor at Maverick Citizen, really appreciate the time. In a moment, Dr. T.K. Poor from the Witt School of Governance. What is happening to government services at the moment? 11 minutes to 9. Mediated conversation on SAFM. Eight minutes to nine the time. Good morning. Continue your mediated conversation around the figures put out by Statistics South Africa that seem to suggest people are moving away from using government services. Although, uh, as you've heard, there is some doubts being cast on them. Dr. T.K. Poer is a political analyst at the Witt School of Governance. Dr. Poer, good morning. Thanks for your time. Yeah, morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me. When, when we see what appears to be a decline in the percentage of people using public services, what does this tell us about public services that are being run by government? 
Well, it brings the question uh, two things. One, it's the issue, and I think the, the first gentleman who spoke, it's about people just, the, the sad thing about people opting out, you know, and it says, look, quality might not be where people would like it to be. And secondly, which I, I, is probably kind of like the undertone, it's saying who is actually using this, because the, the, the conversation thus far has focused on those who are using it. If I were to maybe just put in a different matrix to say, those who've opted out, and this is where I think kind of the rubber hits the road, it's usually people who've got the affordability level to say, listen, I don't need that service. And if you factor that in, I think it actually makes it quite worse because it's basically saying we're creating a two-tier system of living in South Africa. Those who have got the ability to just simply opt out and those who then have to take the services, it then becomes a question of, look, am I just taking this because I have no other option? And look, even if it's bad quality, it's better than nothing. And I think that's that's quite a serious dilemma for, for a society like South Africa to be in, where when you look at what we're supposed to be expecting to come in the next 10 years, it's going to be more of, you know, it's going to be more people, more stress on the system. And I think we just probably need a whole rethink around it. So, I mean, is this, is poor services a, a reflection of bad governance? I mean, does it boil down to that? And somewhere in the middle of this, there'll be demands for wage increases from the people who provide these services. In many cases, it'll be justified. Uh, in many cases, there may be questions around that. But is it really about an issue of governance? It is about, and you're right in saying, it's not an issue of if it's like poor. I think it's about, in, it's it's a wrong model that we're using to understand the pub, the public sector. I've always made this argument to say that if you look at how offices from 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 national to provincial are set up, they they speak to almost like a managerialism, that we've got a lot of assistant directors, DDGs, but it's not really things which are what you might term frontline services, which we don't have positions which actually daily monitor and seek to ask the question, look, the money we're getting in, is it actually going to where we'd like it to go to. It almost seems to be held up in a lot of the managers that we have in government. So I think it's a it's not so much poor governance, it's a, it's a system which is poorly designed. And now we're starting to see basically basically what many people have been saying was going to happen, that if you've got a poorly designed system, which is not answering the questions of what citizens want, you get what we kind of are having at the moment. And then it's a question of do, how quickly do we act to actually admit that, listen, the system is poorly designed and we actually just need a rethink because it's not a thing. Of, and I think a previous guest said it's not about simply just saying, listen, we've got a new turnaround strategy. Listen, we've got a new bandaid because we simply just are missing the point. We need a whole system redesign in order to really start to affect the changes which you and I would like to see happen. We keep hearing promises from people in government that there'll be improvements in health and education. There'll be, you know, a huge uh, fuss about the matric results uh, in about a month's time. I don't know if people believe that things will get better, unfortunately, anymore. No, it won't because, it, it, like I said, people are speaking about surface level things, things which you put a, what's termed a band-aid to it. And also, they also have to make admittance that sometimes the people that are also in the system are a bit too shy to say this, that, look, we don't know how to turn this around and we actually need external help. And I think we, t- we kind of also need to have that conversation, which is to say sometimes we're putting, I think, too much trust on people who themselves, if you speak to them privately, will say, listen, I really don't know how to turn this system around because they don't want to have the tough conversations in the media which says, listen, we need a whole new system redesign. And I think that's what we should be actually punting towards in our conversation, getting these people to be open to say, listen, we need a system redesign. 
this is hard because it's always this assumption that no look putting something on paper means that you're turning it around no putting it paper uh, plan on paper doesn't mean anything it's when you actually see the changes in the demography and the problems that we're facing that's when you can actually see your work is being done and i don't think we're ready to admit that in south africa dr poor there's another sort of almost a philosophical issue so people who don't use these services government then has a smaller role in our lives and government is where the entire country needs to come together. We're not just South African because we support, you know, the Springboks. We're South African because we use government services. We come together. We drive on the same roads. We should really use the same hospitals. But if we don't do that, we start to pull away from each other. And if we don't even come together standing in the same home affairs queue, well, then aren't we pulling away from each other? And isn't that a big problem? That's one of the consequences of a withdrawal from government services. That's exactly it. You basically kill citizenship. You create almost like a dual nationality within one state, and it's really not the greatest way to go. Look, a simple, and I think you've 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 hit the nail on the head. A simple example one always uses is when you're in the magic of Europe. If there's such a thing, especially countries like Germany, is not so much that look they're wealthy, they've got Mercedes. It's the issue that there's a public service system that caters for the rich and the poor, and that makes them almost German. Now, Stephen can obviously make the money he's making. It's a good thing. But at the end of the day, like you're saying, it kind of all, we all make money, but it all goes towards this thing called the public service. And that's what really makes the nation work. And that's what makes Europe work. And that's what we should be aiming towards. And if we don't, you're right in saying we're simply creating a almost like a dual nationality based within one state. And that's always problematic. I don't know what would counter this. And I know people talk about elections next year, but I don't know if elections next year are going to change anything one way or another. Yes, and I've always said this. Look, I, I, I get that it's good to have an election. It's great. But what we really will change is, as I said, I keep calling for a system redesign because that's the only way. Look, it's one thing to elect. That's your what's from your political right. But but your citizenship right, which is to say something away from politics, what makes a country work, that speaks about getting the right systems in place. And I think South Africans need to go towards that conversation. We need to be a bit more open minded to say, listen, We've so long re- regarded politics as the only thing that really needs to change in South Africa. But we can, you're right in saying we need to get to a point of saying, listen, what really makes a country work is having a public service. And we need to really just say, listen, it might not be government or the current people in charge now who bring this change, but we need to start having these conversations and actually asking the hard questions and saying, listen, we need a system redesign. And if you're not for this, get the right people in, either via changing, a, getting rid of whoever is in charge, or getting political parties to all put their papers on the table and say, listen, cost what this is going to be and let us judge you against that on a year-to-year basis. Dr. D.K. Poor, I really appreciate the time this morning. Thank you. From the Witt School of Governance, my thanks also to Mark Haywood, editor of Maverick Citizen. And starting us off today, Solly Mulai is the Chief Director for Social Statistics at Stats SA.